Today's program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian dishes. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network, Everberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on a dish or an aspect of Asian cuisine, and we interview experts on the topic. Today, we are talking about izakaya culture, food, and drinks. And for those who are unfamiliar, an izakaya is traditionally an informal gastropub found in Japan. And izakayas have been compared to, say, Irish pubs, tapas bars, and American taverns, but more on the differences later. And people really love izakayas. I mean, there's obvious reasons. They're casual, fun places to drink, and have now become synonymous with tasty and affordable food options, too. So, I found on Wikipedia, and I gotta name my sources, <laughs> that the word izakaya is a compound word consisting of i, to stay, and sakaya, sake shop, indicating that izakaya originated from sake shops that allowed customers to sit on the premises to drink. And okay, this now makes a lot of sense why Rick Smith of Sakaya NYC named him his premium sake shop in the East Village exactly that, Sakaya. For those that tuned in last season, you'll recall Rick joined us to unpack the fundamentals of sake. Today, we'll also be graduating from Sake 101 to discuss how it pairs with food as our guest tonight is John McCarthy, a certified sake sommelier, chef and owner of the Japanese izakaya-inspired oka in Murray Hill, as well as the Crimson Sparrow restaurant in Hudson, New York. John is a former lawyer who gave up a legal career to go into food. After graduating from the French Culinary Institute at the top of his class, he worked for Chef Wiley Dufresne at WD50 for several years, ultimately becoming Chef Wiley's research and development cook. Sounds fun. He then opened the Crimson Sparrow, which serves a tasting menu of cuisine that employs French and Japanese technique and incorporates flavors and ingredients primarily from Japan and local farms surrounding the Hudson. And now... Oka. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Great to be here. 
So we usually like to start out our show by asking our guests, what's the best thing you ate recently? And I'll go first. So you have a moment to think. Um, I went by Coat recently, which is a um, new Korean steakhouse in Flatiron. Um, my friends and I had the butcher's feast where they lay out four cuts of meat um, and they grill it for you just like at a Korean barbecue spot, but like a way fancier iteration of that. Um, everything was delicious, but what was a particularly great end to the meal was this paper cup um, at the end served uh, with vanilla custard soft serve. And on top of it was drizzled um, a soy sauce caramel. So a, a nice play on the salted caramel thing. Nice. <laughs> what about you, John? What have you been eating? Well, uh, I'm just, as you were discussing that I was uh, inside Coat, which uh, I believe is Korean, Korean-inspired steakhouse. Yeah. I have not yet been. Uh, but I immediately thought of my, uh, my friend Huni Kim's um, duck boki at mm-hmm. Hanjan. Which uh, uh, I did spend some time in Korea. Whenever I eat that dish, I, uh, I it takes me back to Korea. I think it's it's just a phenomenal dish. I think a couple of years ago, it may have been voted by someone, some organization, as one of the ten best dishes in New York or something. But uh, it's consistently one of my favorite dishes in New York. So what what is that? What does it look? It's like? a Korean rice cake with uh, gochujang and uh, pork and. Uh, uh, I guess sometimes maybe a little fish fillet or something, but uh, dried fish, dried squid. But it's incredibly delicious. Uh, spicy, served with an egg, so you can sort of take the yolk and uh, make it a little, a little less spicy. Oh, hearty and perfect for the winter. Perfect for winter time. Um, okay, so John, you've spent a considerable amount of time in Japan. Not enough time. <laughs> Never enough. Never enough. Um, but a good amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to Japan several times. Uh, I haven't spent um, a, a lengthy period of time there. The longest I've spent there is maybe six or seven weeks. Um, but I try to go every year, and hopefully, again, I'll be going in March. Awesome. So based on your experiences there, what does the izakaya scene look like these days? <laughs> <laughs> these days meaning the last time I was there. Uh, well, um, I, I enjoy... Um, you know, people ask me, well, where should I go when I go eat in Japan? And, and you know, I, I have a couple of recommendations, but my my best experiences in Japan have really been turning down alleys and, and finding small little spots. Um, you know, recommendations of friends that have sent me to various places in Japan to, to you know, taste izakaya food. Um, but, you know, it's really sort of the adventure of finding a small spot. Um, whether it's the soundtrack that draws you in, the fact that it's a mm. yakitori place or, or um, some other specialty uh, of the house. Um, you know, we, uh, this is why sometimes it's difficult for me to give recommendations because it's usually really late at night. Um, I'm deep into some study of sake or shochu, and I find this great place that maybe I'm not able to find again. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the, the food memory is still there. That sounds great. A study is a good way to put it. Well, research and develop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever the IRS needs to hear to, to write off that trip, that's fine. <laughs> um, and so typically, um, what does like a izakaya look like? Does it specialize in something? Does it have typical menu items? 
It can. Uh, you know, you know, I, I stray away from calling Oka an izakaya because it doesn't look like much of an izakaya that I've seen in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, they're very small. Uh, they're run by, you know, maybe a husband and a wife or an older, uh, older couple. It can be younger couples as well. Um, but typically, they're they're hidden places, small, off the beaten path, either maybe even in a basement or sub level, um, and that's just a very general uh, description of them. The ones that I've found, um, there are larger uh, izakaya um, that you know they're chain izakaya now. Mm. Um, but you know, typically you go in and and you know the, the sort of the, I guess the procedure is to start out with maybe a beer and then. Uh, you get some type of an amuse or, or something, and then uh, you order small plates during the course of your time spent at the izakaya. And you're, you're trying to taste different dishes with sake if you're drinking shochu. And, you know, typically at the end, maybe you get some rice or noodles to, to end the night. Yeah. Soak good. it all up. That's a good order of ordering. So I recommend it. <laughs> so you were saying to me when we spoke previously that, say, comparing the food or the dishes at an izakaya as being tapas is not totally accurate. Could you, like, elaborate a bit more on that? Mm. Well, I guess I guess in a way it, it's... I'm not very familiar with, with Spanish tapas. I mean, I've eaten at many Spanish restaurants and had tapas food before. Um, I'm... I'm I think the comparison can be made there. I think the with the small dishes, the small dishes set up, sharing. Yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to do though at Oka is is really sort of take the inspiration of Izakaya and create dishes that uh, may fairly be recognizable uh, from from a Japanese Izakaya, but have my own take and spin on them. you know, all of our dishes, you know, izakaya is supposed to be reasonably priced. Um, I don't like the word cheap, but uh, affordable dishes. Mm-hmm. All the dishes at Oka, I think right now, are between $5 and $17. That's the entire menu. Uh, that's 20, 22 dishes, 23 dishes. Uh, we're expanding, but that price point is where we're trying to keep it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Anyone can dine there. Anyone. Anyone, everyone um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to make it, uh, in the spirit of an izakaya in Japan, a place where you can go, uh, either after work or, mm-hmm. you know, later at night or at any time, uh, sit down and enjoy, you know, a couple of dishes and, and drink some either sake or shochu or beer or, or not at all. I've, I had someone call for the first time and, <laughs> <laughs> in my career, and and actually ask over the phone. Uh, they said we don't drink, but can we come in? And I, oh, <laughs> I said sure. I also serve food. Uh, I never had that question before, but if you don't drink and you want to come in, yes, we serve you food. Um, but I think the idea is is to provide, you know, uh, a place where people can go in and enjoy a variety of dishes, and the the variety of dishes really is, is sort of. Uh, driven to allow you to try different types of sake or, or different types of beverages. We have a strong cocktail program as well if you want to start out with a cocktail. Uh, but the idea is to, to give you vehicles to see how food or various food pairs with the sake or better yet to pair your sake with the, the, the different dishes on the menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you walk us through um, some of your signer, signature dishes and how you prepare them? 
Sure. Um, the top five dishes at Oka right now are one, the karaage, uh, fried chicken. Um, it's buttermilk brine for a couple of days um, and then um, dredged in a um, um, AP flour slash uh, other ingredient mix, uh, which is state secret. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second uh, highest selling dish, which was surprising to me over the course of the last several months, is um, the yellowtail hamachi, a uh, collar, mm-hmm. kama. We, um, we grill it uh, with a soy um, glaze. Um, we, we dress it with, uh, during the course of the grill with a yuzu vinaigrette and finish it with um, a considerable amount of uh, citrus zest. It sells incredibly well. Um, and what's been great about it is watching people that have never eaten it before mm-hmm. order it and then want to learn how to eat it. And once they do, they order it every single time they're in. Uh, so that's, that's been somewhat of a, a pleasant surprise and really, really fun to, to watch. Uh, then the pork tenderloin, the um, tonkatsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we uh, um, brine the pork uh, for at least 24 hours and then serve it over a bed of uh, Napa cabbage um, uh, with a with a yuzu. Yeah, uh, I had that one. It was dress. so crispy and <laughs> zesty, delicious. Yeah, it, it's breaded at least uh, 24 hours ahead of time, so um, or 12 hours ahead of time. But then after that, you know, we've got a mixture of dishes that um, sort of fall from fourth to 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, is a, a salmon roe ikura dish with um, yeasted uh, sunchoke puree and sunchoke chips. Which, so I feel like that's where it differs from like a, a traditional izakaya dish. Yeah, I, that I, ingredient. I, think, I think you could go into every izakaya in Japan and not find that dish. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the idea of, um, behind that was really to provide something that's a bit different. Um, to the diner. I mean, we have an edamame dish right now on the menu, but it's a bit different. It's more of an edamame salad with um, Korean dried chili, togarashi, uh, kupi mayo, and it's mm-hmm. served on a uh, uh, komodo shrimp cracker. Um, so it's it's really kind of like a dip in a salad, mm-hmm. um, but uh, with you know edamame edamame salad. So we we've done a couple of different things with ingredients just to make it more um, unique. Yeah. Um, like the first three things you listed off, I was like, okay, yeah, I feel like you could find that in Japan, but then everything else. Let's depart. <laughs> um, so where do you draw your inspiration for that? I, I don't exactly know. I mean, we, we uh, for the record, uh, the Crimson Sparrow uh, did close in November. Mm. Um, we, we, we had a fun time up there for, for five, five years, five plus years, five and a half years. Uh, but... The good news is now I'm at Oka every day, um, and uh, really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, we we had sort of two different restaurants at the Crimson Sparrow. One was a fine dining restaurant where we did a, a tasting menu. Um, you know, it could range from anywhere from eighty-five dollars to one hundred and twenty-five dollars at any given time. Uh, but then we had a bar in the front and an outdoor courtyard where we tried to serve more informal dishes. So it became more of a research and development laboratory for what then became Oka. Um, or sort of a catalog of recipes and dishes that I can use at Oka, mm-hmm. uh, which is great because um, there's nothing better than coming into a situation like that, having already tried out a bunch of these dishes and, and uh, uh, you know, sort of honed the recipes, but also taking something that may have been done at the Crimson Sparrow, either on the tasting menu or the bar menu, and kind of turning it around a little bit 
um, fine-tuning fine it, tweaking it, seeing how it would work inside of a, a more casual setting like Oka. Um, so that's it's really... Uh, yeah, what about the, the clientele, like, you know, New York City versus Hudson? Well, in fairness to uh, the Crimson Sparrow, most of our clientele, I would say almost 80% of it to 90% of it, uh, when they'd make reservations, they were all 212-646-7188 area codes. So it was really, uh, I was serving New York, but only about two hours north of it, Yeah. Uh, of the city. So coming back to New York, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's sort of the same clientele. Um, it's just an urban setting versus a rural setting. Yeah. It's fun. Um, I see a lot of people actually that have been to the mm -hmm. Crimson Sparrow in uh, Oka, which is really nice. Uh, people have found me and said, you know, I only live six blocks from here. So great. See you more. That's awesome. It's great to hear that. Yeah. We're going to take a really short break and we'll be right back with more Feast Meets West. The following program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 potato chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West. Okay, John, now on to the alcoholic offerings at Oka. Everyone asks about <laughs> alcohol, but always says, okay, John. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I am not an expert. I am neither an authority. I'm just uh, well. Um, how should I say? Well practiced. Mm -hmm. Studied. <laughs> studied. Studied man. Well researched. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so, what does the beverage menu look like at Oka? So, Oka has. Uh, well, let's start with the, the top of the menu. The cocktails. Uh, we've got some really uh, great cocktails. Um, uh, Christina Phelps, a friend of mine, is is, is our head bartender there. Um, we've put together a list of, of cocktails that essentially draw somewhat from the Crimson Sparrow and what I was doing there. And then uh, Christina's had some great ideas and, and great uh, uh, drinks put on as well. Uh, so it's, it's, really, it's really a beautiful uh, cocktail menu. The next, uh, you know, we have one draft beer. Uh, and we decided we would just try to serve, I don't know, one of my favorites and not have to you know, have eight, Which nine, one is ten. that? Asahi Super Dry. Mm. Uh, it is delicious. Uh, but we also have a selection of canned and bottled beers. Uh, we have Echigo's uh, Koshi Hikari, uh, Orion's Lager, um, and we have uh, Kanazawa Dark Ale uh, as well in bottle. And then we have uh, a shochu list that is, I think, is about 16 or 17 bottles large. It's going to grow larger as we grow. Um, but it has a, a pretty diverse selection across the, um, you know, emo sweet potato, uh, mungi, which is the barley, mm -hmm. and uh, a kome, which is the rice. Um, and uh, my friend uh, Stephen Lyman and uh, Chris Johnson are really um, sort of, uh, I guess, the experts that I would turn to uh, to go beyond um, in the next level uh, with the shochu. Um, Stephen is, is, has a, a company and... and uh, 
a program called Kampai US, um, and he does talks uh, on shochu. Um, and then, uh, you know, my friends Andrew uh, Richardson and Chris Johnson of World Sake, they, they've helped me, and Jamie Graves have helped me put together a pretty great sake list. Um, really wonderful sake, premium sake. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're expanding that as well. Uh, we serve it in, by glass, carafe, and bottle. So mm-hmm. And I had the pleasure of trying the flights. That yeah. was really fun. It was actually the night you were there was the first night we actually oh, got the okay. flights program up. And I running. approve it. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> uh, we have four different flights right now. Um, and, you know, we'll change those out hopefully, you know, seasonally or mm-hmm. uh, just to make it a bit diverse for the. Yeah. How did you come up with those kind of selections per flight? Well, what we tried to do with them was was really. Um, you know, there's one that's called the, the, the Oka flight or 439 flight, which is really just three sake that are pretty diverse. Mm. So we, ha- we do have people that come in and have never tried sake before. So we tried to offer them, you know, a Nagori, a Ginjo, and, mm-hmm. and maybe a Yamahai. Um, and then, you know, we have one flight that's just uh, Ginjos and Junmai Ginjos mm. so that you can see the differences, you know, among them. Um, I think another one of them is the Yamahai and Kimoto flight, which is... Um, you know, that's a category unto itself and, you know, it's, it's incredibly delicious, but maybe people haven't tried that particular style before. So we mm-hmm. give them an option of, you know, three different ones they can try. Um, and what we're finding is that it's, it's a great educational tool. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, it's a great way to select the next carafe you want to get. So mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of that, which is great. I mean, it's, it's not supposed to be you know, work or education, but, you know, if you have an opportunity to try three sake that you probably wouldn't order by the glass because it's a little too much, then this is the way to do it. Yeah, that actually kind of uh, answers my next question because I was going to uh, ask you, what would you recommend sake newcomers, you know, ordering from your menu for the first time? <laughs> uh, the uh makes a sake that they've um, um, called or branded uh, Oka. So why not start there? Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful Ginjo sake, um, a bit floral, uh, but very, very uh, nice entry into sake. Um, you know, that's, that's when I, why not go with the, the same named sake, right? Now? Um, and do you have a strategy of how to pair sake with, you know, what types of like foods or flavors and maybe like examples of that on your menu? Yeah, I think there, there, there is, um, you know, when we have, we spend a considerable amount of time with the staff sort of discussing the type of sake or specific sake that would go with a certain dish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, spicier dishes um, that have, you know, some heat to them. Uh, typically, you know, we'll point them towards, um, you know, say a, a nagori or um, something with a, you know, heavier, richer mouthfeel that helps sort of tamp down the heat. Um, there are some things on the menu that are a bit funkier. Um, we, uh, I find it a bit surprising that we sell as much. Uh, there's a sake called Tamagawa Heirloom uh, Red Label. Uh, it's, it's incredibly complex. It's rich. Um, and uh, frankly, it's, it's one that surprises me that people, you know, taste. And it, it's, I guess it's because it's so different. Uh, we sell a lot of it. And it goes well with, say, grilled meats or, um, you know, I guess maybe our beef tartare would be a good good match for that as well. 
Um, so we, we do spend a considerable amount of time trying to help the diner if they're interested in that. Um, you know, the flights have helped a little bit because people will ask us, you know, what do I pair with the mm-hmm. Yamaha or Kimoto? Um, you know, we can, we can suggest some dishes for them that'll help that, that experience along a little bit. Um, and so you mentioned what, you know, kind of surprised you mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, what diners have been ordering. What did you wish diners ordered more of? More. <laughs> <laughs> Just overall everything. <laughs> no, I think, I think that, uh, uh, so far I think we've been very, very pleased with the, uh, reception mm-hmm. uh, that we've gotten for not only the menu, um, but also the sake list, the, the shochu list, uh, the availability of, um, or I should say the accessibility of the menu uh, in terms of pricing. Um, we, we have regular customers that come in and eat the same thing every day, and I, I have no problem with that whatsoever because once you find something you like, it, you might as well keep with it and maybe stray once in a while to see what else is there. I've changed the menu since we've opened. Uh, I flipped pretty much the whole menu over after uh, October 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to hold this menu with a couple of exceptions through till the spring. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Just some adapting specials. adapting to seasonality? Or? Seasonality, uh, but also, you know, we're mindful that we have a considerable number of, of local people, mm. I'd say local neighborhood people mm. that do come in. I still want to keep it fresh and interesting for them. So we will be making some changes, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been very, uh, very pleasantly surprised. I mean, this is the first restaurant that I've owned in New York. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've, all my experience has been pretty much upstate, but uh, it's it's been it's been fun so really fun so far. That's great. We have an I mean we have an open kitchen, so um, as we're cooking, we get to see the diners' reactions, and sometimes <laughs> you don't want to see the diners' reactions, <laughs> but uh, by and large the reaction's been favorable, so it's been a, a sort of rewarding experience for us. We uh, we we also are able to interact with the diner maybe a lot more than uh, you would if you were, say, downstairs or behind a door, mm-hmm. uh, which is also uh, fun because we can, I can talk to them about sake and, you know, how dishes are made and where we get ingredients and things like that. So it's been fun. Yeah. Um, and so what are you drinking these days? Lots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anything that stands out from the sake category? I have been, uh, well, two, I guess two things. I, I, I enjoy rye, uh, whiskey. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but, uh, we, we have, um, a a shochu called Yamasemi, which is a a rice, uh, kome shochu. I enjoy it. Um, it, it's, uh, um, it's really fantastic. It's light. It's refreshing to me. Um, but uh, I should also mention, we have a pretty extensive Japanese whiskey selection. Mm-hmm. Um, Hakushu, Yamazaki, uh, EY, um, you know, um, Hibiki. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've, we've got pretty much all the major stars and heavy hitters. So I try to stay away from those because, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm not yet entitled. <laughs> they're, they're easy to drink. They go down smooth. <laughs> oh, too, too easy, too easy. Yeah. Oh, that's a great list. I mean, you know, as much as you're like having a diverse, like hot, cold Mm. options on your food menu, also just so many options for beverages too. We're, you know, we're a 32 seat restaurant, Mm -hmm. but we've, I think we've uh, pulled together pretty much um, 
everything that you would look for in a high-end, um, you know, high-end restaurant, I guess I would say, for in terms of, like, say, a sake program or whiskey program. Um, and But we've also tried to, to make it accessible to the point, um, you know, on the, on the price point, but also in terms of how it works and fits within the culinary program. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm pretty proud of it. And, you know, we've got a great staff that is really behind it as well. Yeah. And, and do you feel like, I, I was going to originally ask this about just sake, but I think about all kind of like Japanese um, alcoholic beverages. Do you think they're kind of having a moment right now? Is there a general trend that you're seeing, particularly in the city, of, of how they're being received or, or being like served? Well, I think, um, you know, there's obviously been a great, uh, expansion of sushi restaurants and and uh, uh, the like in New York. And, you know, there was recently an article as to whether you should even drink sake with sushi and what beverages are appropriate with sushi, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there's been an increasing awareness and educational uh, basis to understanding mm-hmm. what sake is. Um, you know, I have friends that are invested emotionally and, and, and whatnot inside and, and maybe financially uh, in the sake world. I also have friends that are emotionally invested in, and deep into the shochu world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, New York should be very aware that uh, they're about to have their own sake brewery in Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Kura. And uh, I think their sake is going to be available soon. But mm-hmm. uh, I've had the you know, opportunity and pleasure to taste, you know, one or two things from them. And I cannot wait. It's delicious. Uh, so in yeah. this, in this borough, we're about to have a sake. Right. Borough. When How it's exciting so readily that? available. And I think with that comes, you know, an increasing educational awareness and maybe that helps spur more sake sales in, in New York beyond, you know, where, where we are now, uh, which would of course be great news for everyone involved, including, um, the premium brewers in Japan mm-hmm. can't be a bad thing. Yeah, global awareness. Global awareness. I mean, uh, I think my shochu friend told me that I think shochu has now overtaken sake as the number one consumed alcoholic beverage in Japan. Ooh! So I wanted to hear about that trend. I mean, what, <laughs> what was I'll the turning point? Yeah. I don't know what the turning point is. I'm sure he can give you more of a cultural. Uh, reason for it, mm-hmm. but my 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 individual effort at Oka is to somehow get New Yorkers to drink enough sake so that we're you know making sure all of the, we're behind. all of the brewers <laughs> of sake in Japan uh, you know keep pace. So how about that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, one of my New Year's resolutions is to just drink more. <laughs> yeah, so so it's the new year, start of twenty eighteen. Um, what do you have planned for yourself and, and Oka for the rest of the year? Wow. Um, I'm, we're going to try to continue to do events. We've done uh, past events uh, with um, some sake brewers. Um, we did an event with Ichiko, which uh, is a uh, distiller of shochu. Uh, we've got a couple of people we're talking to in the new year. Um, I'm probably trying, maybe going to Japan in March. Uh, at some point uh, to do a little bit of a stage, but maybe more research mm-hmm. and development, quote unquote. Um, but, uh, you know, we're really going to try to just sort of expand, um, 
you know, our own education within OCA uh, mm-hmm. to make sure that um, everyone has the same set of, of um, understandings about sake and shochu mm-hmm. and so that there's not one person relied upon there. Um, and I think in that, you're going to find a more pleasurable experience because that's really what we want to do is, is just impart you know, what we love and what we're doing to, to the guest. Uh, just to make sure that, that, that they're comfortable with it and they understand why and what and wherefore. But at the end of the day, let's just hope it's really delicious and they enjoy it and come back at least at least three to four times a week. <laughs> at least. <laughs> well, um, John, that sounds like a great, delicious and educational mission. Accept. Please accept it. Um, thank you John that just about wraps up today's show thank you so much for coming thank you for being thank you for having me Um, so for our listeners what's the best way um, to stay up to date on news from you from Oka Uh, the Instagram is uh, Oka O-K-A underscore N-Y-C we also have a Facebook page uh, I believe it's Oka Restaurant Um, and we're at uh, 439 3rd Avenue uh, between 30th and 31st streets on 3rd Avenue. Um, and, uh, you know, just uh, stay tuned. Uh, there'll be a lot of good things coming. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I forgot to ask. What does Oka mean? Hill. Yeah, my friend Chris Johnson is responsible for that. <laughs> it, it just happened to be to um, my partner, uh, Simon, Simon She. Um, it happens to be his wife's family uh, kanji name as well. So um, Also Murray Hill. Uh, Murray Hill. That's that's the whole reason for it. So uh, <laughs> there you go. There were so so many intersecting stars and, and whatnot. It it had to be the name. <laughs> Love it. Um, thanks again, and fellow listeners, please head on over to feastmeetswest.com um, or at feastmeetswesteats on Instagram, or you can search feastmeetswest on Facebook to keep in touch with your FMW news and updates, including episode summaries, interview profiles, and much more. We'll be back next week with another awesome conversation from the world of Asian food. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.